Lorcana, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, and Saltburn. This is staying in. So tell me, Pete, how long have you been planning this holiday that you're about to go on, considering I found out about it today? Yeah, I don't know. I I'm I swear I've mentioned this before, but I'm mm. I'm so I'm going I'm going on a snowboarding holiday. Have I not told you? <laughs> yeah, because because no, I'll, I'll just 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 to kind of join the gaps. No, you've you've not mentioned anything, and like your 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 lovely partner Alex the other day mentioned about kind of packing for holiday. My first thought was, well, clearly Pete's not going on that holiday because we'd have known about <laughs> no. it. So she's obviously going away with some friends or something like that. <laughs> Like clearly, yeah. if it was a proper holiday, we would have heard about it. And then yeah, I see I'm... you packing a suitcase, watching snowboarders. Yeah. So we are going on a holiday together. It's the first abroad holiday in like half a decade. Like it's a like a, a really big deal for us. We're going as part of a group to a chalet holiday in Bulgaria. Oh my word! A chalet holiday. I now know. I've heard. I've heard tale. Well. There's pre-ski, ski, and après-ski. What, what <laughs> um, happens in the chalet stays at the chalet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so basically what happened is at the end of last year, we got a message from one of her friends who said, we're thinking about going on a, a winter sports holiday, skiing, snowboarding, that kind of thing. We're going to go as part of a group to kind of keep the costs down. Do you want to come along? And Alex turned to me because she knows that I've... You know, I, I really enjoy doing stupid stuff along those lines. And also, I used to really enjoy extreme sports like skateboarding and rollerblading and BMXing and all that sort of stuff. And I've always had a bit of a, you know, I'm like in my late 30s now. I can't I can't do rollerblading. Like, I, like it That's just, why you play so much Tony Hawk's. Yeah, exactly. I'm just, uh, honestly, it sort of is a little bit of that. So... So anyway, I think she knows that. And she's also trying to do a bit more sort of like adventurous stuff at the moment. She wants to go and do a lot more traveling as well. So she was like, should we, should we do it? Should we just, should we just do it? And I was like, uh, yeah, let's go for it. Let's, let's go for it. So <laughs> we jumped on, we jumped on a, a, a booking website where we, we had to book our planes and stuff like, let's, let's do it. Chucked our details in. Here we go. And then we sat back and we're like, brilliant. We're going, we're going. And then I turned and then around. And it hit you. And then it hit me. Uh, and I said, do you know how to ski or snowboard? She was like, no. I was like, right, neither do I. So so we've spent the last month and a half doing dry slope snowboard lessons at the local uh, dry slope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good. Yeah. At the local pub. Not, See, the, yeah. not the local park. Step one. Just going down Step a hill one. On Tick. Find, find, find the right place. Good. Done. <laughs> I could just, I could just see Pete there. He's just, he's like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. He's gone down, he's gone down to JJB Sports. Yeah. Bought a, bought a skateboard, taking the chucks yeah. off. Yeah. Taking the wheels off. Yeah. And he's just going down a hill put, at his park. Yeah. Put down one of those on like a slip, slip and slide. Put yeah, to put down a slip and slide and gone right. Okay, this is this is how it's done. <laughs> this is how you do it. Taped his foot on with gaff tape. Yeah. Yeah. Do toe edge, do heel edge, uh, and have a really silly fun time. So we basically have been doing this dry slope practice stuff. Okay, none of this has ever come up in conversation. No, I mean, I mean, you would have thought you would have mentioned it to for your weeks. friends. Yeah, for weeks, for, a whole month. Yeah, the amount of times you said, "Should we do skiing. something? Should we play games? Should we do something?" Oh, I can't. I'm busy. No, yeah, no point did you say I'm doing. busy skiing. 
and, and the thing is, Dan, and the thing is, Dan, it's not like one of those things where Pete could surprise us by just bringing it out one day. It's not like he's. <laughs> it's right, not like he's. Check this out. You know, yeah, it's not like he's. You know, just take an example off the top of my head. It's not like he's been having singing lessons for a month and yeah. then we all go to karaoke and he suddenly blasts out a yeah. Pitch Perfect yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not like we're going to be there at bloody you know on the slopes of aspen and he's like don't worry lads i've got this i got this <laughs> like what <laughs> but how Pete? you've never yeah, skied yeah. but how <laughs> so so what i've also not not let you know then is uh, and we i've only just about come to this realization when i get back from the holiday i'm going to have to book a doctor's appointment because i think i've broken my knuckle on the way down on one of it uh, i think I, I basically it's quite swollen uh, and basically, because uh, I fell down while I was practicing, uh, and it got quite swollen. I thought, oh, I'll be fine. It'll be absolutely fine. I can still move it. No problem. Uh, that's been three and a half, four weeks now. And I'm 99% confident that basically I've broken it. So I'm going to go out to Bulgaria, most likely with a broken knuckle, and then come back and basically get them to sort it out when I come back. Uh, but my hope is my hope is we'll go out there we've got some lessons <laughs> sorry 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 i'm just <laughs> i'm just imagining now yeah a situation where you've got your broken knuckle yeah you go out to bulgaria you come back you go and see a doctor and the first thing they say is why didn't you come straight away and you're yeah. like oh well you, you know think things got busy because we're gonna have to yeah we're gonna have to operate. We have to, and you end, and there's some sort of weird thing where you end up with like you have to have your middle finger extended in yeah. the cast <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, so I'm, I'm also yeah. imagining the conversation going along the lines of, "Oh, you, you should have come in earlier," and you've been like, I, "I didn't, I didn't have the time. We had to go." Like, I understand that. What did it happen in the last few days or something? No, five weeks ago. No, five weeks ago, and I went <laughs> you snowboarding. Absolutely had time to see a doctor when it happened. Well, we've got to, we, we've got to take off the hand, Mister Willington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you it did spread you, when it got gangrenous? Did you not think that was <laughs> the a broken knuckle spread? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. So that's that's the position I'm in, and yeah. So we we've been taking lessons. Uh, <laughs> clearly, they've been going brilliantly, and we've also got some lessons out in Bulgaria as well. We are both doing snowboarding, and one of my favourite phrases that I've come to learn is "all the gear, no idea." So okay. so <laughs> yeah, basically, I, I can see it. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So so basically, we've bought. I've got. I've bought bum pad. I've bought a I bought wrist guards I've bought a jacket which will go down to minus 32 degrees celsius I've got goggles I've got a little beanie hat I got I got something called salopets salopets which are like salopets which are like these like waterproof trousers they're amazing um because I've never done any of this stuff and I'm just like so I just went for surprisingly full force yeah so you've 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 bought equipment to go to the arctic basically <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah 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 you're yeah. going on you you're, you've bought for an arctic expedition and you're going for yeah. a nice <laughs> nice leisurely time yeah. in bulgaria yeah the, the the most dangerous thing about the mountain will be whether or not we can get <laughs> the most dangerous thing about the mountain beat will be you <laughs> <laughs> oh no so basically basically i've been really enjoying the the lessons themselves but i've had my big worrying bit which is whenever i try something new 
I always like test the boundaries of how far I can push it. And we, we did this course of lessons and there's something called try snowboarding. And there goes one star, two star, three star, four star. Um, on try snowboarding, they said, right, for your final run, what do you want to do? You know, and we, we just learned how to balance on the board, right? Like that's the number one thing that we've learned. That's really the, all we've been doing on this lesson. And they said, now, what do you want to do for your final run? Yeah. So I yeah. was, I would basically said, yeah, trick. I'd like, send me, to, like send me to, down the half pipe. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I'd like to do a 180, uh, a 180 turn. Uh, and the guy said, well, uh, <laughs> I've seen many people attempt that on the first go. I've never actually seen anybody succeed. And I went, I'll be the first. So <laughs> I went down the hill. <laughs> I went God, down the hill. This is playing out like so many stories have in the past. I went down the hill and lo and behold, I did, I did not do 180 degrees of turn. I did about 12 and, <laughs> and immediately fell on, uh, fell, on my, fell on my ass, basically. But the reason I say this is a good thing is I've got it out of my system. I've got the don't be cocky out of my system. So now when we go down the mountain, I'll be fine. I'll take it very seriously. I'll be very, very safe. It'll be great. Have you ever been skiing, Sam? No. No. I, I, I went I on a school to. trip when I was about 14. Uh, and it was, I, I did do skiing. I didn't do snowboarding. So we just did what was referred to as snowplow, which is basically where you point the two skis to at each other without crossing them. And you just yeah. you can ski nice and slowly then. And you just lean side to side to kind of turn and stuff. So that was a nice. Then if you want to go faster, you just straighten them up. Um, yeah. My, my tips for you... My tip for you was that one of the most difficult things I found was getting off the ski lift because there was the, the ski lift where you kind of put the seat between your legs and it pulls you up the hill. Now, maybe my age now, I'm much taller, so I'd be okay. But that was the problem I had of just pretty much every time I got to the top, I just had to fall over. It was the only way I could really consistently easily get off it was just to fall <laughs> and then have to scamper away with skis on, which are not the most uh, easy to get around on. The thing that we've been told is those ski lifts are built for skiers. They are not built for snowboarders. Uh, okay. So... So you think, oh, okay. So you say, oh, well, then what do snowboarders use? And they say, the ski lifts. And you go, <laughs> oh, no. So apparently they're really, really difficult to get up and down. Well, get, to get up the mountain. Getting down is easy. Just fall down it. But getting up the mountain is apparently much harder on a snowboard if you're quite new to it. So we are doing all of those lessons to make sure that we've got okay, that cool. down. But I would have thought, Sam, I would have thought you were the sort of person who... I would have thought you would have been the kind of person who would have done snowboarding. I would have thought like every year going to the Alps, crushing the park, flipping no, off. I've, I've never been abroad with my with my family. Have you not? No, never. Well, there we go. There my we brother, go. though, my brother loves snowboarding. He's got his own snowboard. He's got all the gear. He's got the, all the ideas. Goes every year. Wow. How cold can he get in the jacket that he bought? Yeah, exactly. Um, What's this go down to? Uh, well, uh he looks cool all the time. Nice. Snowboard. Well, maybe maybe when I come back and it's a great success, maybe we'll maybe that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do next time. I would I would love to go skiing again, but like it like when I have a family now, it's not on the cards for many, many a year. At which point I'm probably like, Oh, I'm a bit old now. I could I could break things now that I, I didn't used to be able to break. 
there's um some very cute stuff on Instagram of like two year olds like bombing it down the mountains and being absolutely like amazing snowboarders and skiers and stuff like that. It's it's, it's not what you incredible. want to see though, is it really? What you just learned as a nearly yeah, four year old no, person. <laughs> yeah, so that is one of the things that has been a bit disappointing. Like when we've been doing these snowboarding lessons, we've invariably been with like eleven year olds. <laughs> so so <laughs> so. <laughs> And like they've all been way better than Alex and me, so you're more set in your ways. Children's minds are much more flexible than adults. They think they're invincible. I mean, to be fair, I think I'm invincible, but yeah. But yeah, I'll let you know. I look forward to hearing. Well, about I hope it. so, because you didn't let us know that you were going. Yeah, but when you come back in a full body cast. <laughs> <laughs> so. Talking about going away, you're making your preparations to go snowboarding, Pete. Mm-hmm. I'm already making my preparations to go to Aircon. Oh, yeah. It's really only a few weeks away now. When yeah. is this podcast out? First, so start of February. So uh, February's like only lasts a couple of weeks, doesn't it? So yeah, it's, before it's, you know it. It's basically nothing. And then, when, and then Aircon is March middle of March Air comes middle of March yeah and obviously now let's start getting the things in now if you're going to aircon listener drop us a line staying in pod at gmail.com mm-hmm. uh, and tell us that you're going yeah because uh, we might bring some stickers with us we will bring some stickers with there us. there you go because well got... actually no let's say might because yeah yeah cause it, we might it's on me to do it yeah, and because exactly. yeah. I'm really looking forward to aircon because we got we, we we did so much good stuff there we found so many good things there last year yeah me you and Chris have booked onto an RPG amazing what are we doing we do monster of the week so so the three of us are doing monster of the week I'm also doing by myself uh, I'm doing the awfully cheerful engine which is by N Publishing, which is sponsoring the entire event because uh, uh, Awfully Cheerful Engine is a, an RPG book I own and have read and have never played. So I really want to uh, play that by the cool. people who made it. Uh, so that should be fun. That'd be great. And the other thing I've been doing is looking at my collection and thinking about what I might bring yep. for us all to play over the weekend. Now, I mean, part of me is tempted to for us to get a legacy game and just blast through it through the whole weekend, Oof. and that just be our thing that we that we do. Yeah. But really, what I'm aiming to do is get rid of Chris for a couple of hours, yeah. so me and you can play Lorcana, Pete. A hundred percent. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked about Lorcana on the podcast yet, and I've been like itching to talk to somebody about it, but I ha- like I've wanted you to like play it first before like yeah. gushing because uh, mm-hmm. I just want to find out whether or not I'm right <laughs> basically yeah I was lucky enough to get sent some um, Lorcana because the next the next chapter mm-hmm. is now out Rise of the Floodborne so the first yep. one was called the first chapter mm-hmm. yeah so Rise of the Floodborne um, which came out just at the end of last year yep and they sent me a, a thing called a trove and a couple of the starter decks and a couple of little uh, booster packs. Oh, wow. That's it's all very nice. It is. It was very, very lucky. So my first impressions, I think, are that the starter decks are exceptional. A hundred percent. I have rarely ever come across a TCG that 
has such robust and interesting starter decks. Um, Flesh and Blood might be yep. the sort of the the next sort of gold standard in terms of providing that sort of entry point into the hobby. But even then, that kind of I think Flesh and Blood felt really robust. But it was the fact that you didn't really feel like you were playing the game proper unless you were playing on a play mat, which is something yeah. that I always found really weird with Flesh and Blood. But yeah, um, I agree with you. Anyway, by the way. But Lorcana does do a, a really good job at bringing the game and putting the game in front of new players and giving you a deck where you can feel not just competitive with, but that you, that enables you to really think about the game and how you might play the game in a with a strategic approach. Mm-hmm. So I think it does a really super job there. The Illuminis Trove is a is a is a bit of a bigger box. Yes. And inside that is a lot of booster cards, basically, mm-hmm. and um, a couple of deck boxes for yeah. you to put decks inside. And that and that kind of stuff is, yeah, it's all right. I th- I don't think the I don't think the considering the cost, I don't think the deck boxes in that you get in those troves are particularly high quality. But it's a good to have a place to store yeah your cards yeah. when you when you get them. And you get let's not muck around. You get a load of boosters with it, and you get a nice yeah, box do. to store your collection in. And yes. there's some other stuff that comes with it, but really, that's not what it's about. It's about buying a load no. of boosters at the same time as a nice box. Like, and that box, I know that sounds really dumb, but like when you if if you've not played a CCG before, like it is actually really useful to be able to put all of your cards away in a nice box that everything is really easily accessible because part of the, the 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 goal of a lot of these games for some people for for a lot of people I would say is deck building and yeah. it's nice to be able to put them in a nice looking sturdy box that you can just put on a shelf and it not be everywhere like you don't need a big folder of cards for example just taking up tons of space so it is a nice it's a nice item but it's not a good way to get started so the big difference with Lorcana is that even if you don't buy into the law, it's actually really difficult not to allow yourself to get carried away with some law that you could create by yourself. I am so glad you've said this. This is the, this is. Do you know this is one of the first things that Alex and I thought of? Because so we didn't get sent this because we don't have friends in high places. We actually went and we actually went and we we got the first chapter. And then we uh, went on opening day. We took the day off work to go on the opening day of uh, the the second set, the the Rise of the Floodborne. And we went to our local game store to go and pick the, like to go and buy them in person. It was great. So we are like way into, (laughs) we are into this. But one of the first things we said to each other was the, the thing that we, the thing that we really liked is immediately the game says to you, Hey, in this deck, you've got Snow White and you've got a bunch of the Seven Dwarfs. They probably have some synergy, huh? And like immediately, all of those stories that Disney is very, very good at telling, they all come with it into Lorcana, right? So some of the fun is looking at the cards and going, oh yeah, I remember that's a really good bit from that film. And you've seen yeah. the film and you care about the film and you care about that quote unquote law because they're, they're Disney are master storytellers, right? <laughs> 
whereas whereas yeah like these other trading card games it's just not the same thing and yeah so we came away from it like we don't care about what the floodborn are at all but what we no. do care about is seeing mickey mouse as a musketeer and going that is adorable for me i've probably made it very clear over the years that kind of these kind of trading card games just they're not really for me like magic the gathering was never something i got on board with if you if you look back at the the history of our podcast it probably comes up several times yeah Um, but i can absolutely see if i were kind of interested in that if that if that was a side of game that did work for me i'm I'm not against them they just don't really work for me i can absolutely see the difference where you've got some magic the gathering and you're just collecting creating a deck based on okay the skill the, the the attributes are going to work well here whereas there is going to be that when you know that law naturally it's embedded in you i'm gonna want to get all the dwarves together because i kind of want them in my pack all together i can and so there is another level and obviously the game design should understand that so it's going to have them complementing each other and stuff like that. it's not just going to be random attributes thrown at people they should as you alluded to kind of there should be this kind of synergy between them but that added story aspect kind of would help someone through that in terms of building it. Because you know what? I don't know. I don't understand deck building, but I do know that I want kind of, I want to see Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. I, don't, I want to see maybe sort of various villains all getting together. And that's kind of, you're not thinking about it in a card game then. You're thinking about it in the story sense. Again, as an on-ramp, it's like, you have the Snow White and you have Seven Dwarfs and you have some other princesses and they all have this... Can you see how all these princesses have this keyword, which is princess? Cool. There are certain things in your deck that when they when you play them, something will happen for all cards that have the key term princess. And so you go, oh, right. So you start to think, oh, well, I've got Snow White and I've got my Seven Dwarfs, but if I wanted to build this deck out in a different way, I could keep the Seven Dwarfs and add in a bunch more princesses from a different different parts of the Disney sort of canon, right? Because they're all going to have this keyword, and I wonder what that would do with my deck. I suppose we should talk about how it actually works, rather than the actual... Like, yeah. Because the, the big thing was, it's Disney and a trading card game. Oh my God, why has this not happened before? They're going to make a million dollars. And indeed, they have made quite a lot of money. Yeah. And I think everybody thought this was going to be a flash in the pan because, oh, well, it's just they're just trading off this thing. Who are Ravensburger to do a trading card game? And I must admit, I sort of thought that to begin with. I was like, they've done Villainous. They've done a great job with Villainous. That's, one of my, again, one of our favourite games, board games. But it's a sort of set game itself. It's a sort of asynchronous card game. Whereas trading card games, they don't really do these things. Is this really in their wheelhouse? But mechanically, holy hell, like there are so many smart choices in there. Where they seem to be drawing from is the big hitters that are already out there. There's nothing in mm-hmm. here at the moment that mechanically that makes me go, wow, that's an incredibly new mechanic, right? If you've played Pokemon, the trading card game, or if you've played Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh! or even bits of like Netrunner I see in this. Keyforge. Like, Keyforge, yes, Keyforge, absolutely. Flesh like, and blood. Bits of flesh and blood, especially with, around things like items. Um, yeah. They have taken all of the stuff that's really good about those, a bunch of the stuff that's really good about those games, and then they've gotten rid of the things about those games that you dislike, right? So... <laughs> that is close. I mean, I don't disagree with you, because the first thing that struck me when I started to play this was 
my god, they've taken the favorite, the three favorite things from three of my favorite card games and put them into one card yeah. game. So we've still not talked about how the game works. So <laughs> you, um, you've got your, you got your deck of cards, and each player draws five cards off the top of the deck, and they're on your turn. You can turn one card into ink, and then you can play cards from your hand, and then you can do things with the cards in front of you. And the majority of things that you'll be doing is exhausting them, i.e. turning them sideways, i.e. tapping, mm-hmm. to use them for a, a, a certain power or a certain ability. You'll be challenging other enemies or other cards controlled by the other player, or you'll be questing. Mm-hmm. Um, so questing is how you win. Each card has on it well, most of the majority of the cards have on it, um, they'll have some sort of like golden pips, either one pip, two pip, or three pips is the most I've seen. And if you quest, you choose how many cards you want to quest with, you turn them sideways, and you'll go up that many steps, depending on how many gold pips you got on this little quest ladder. First person to collect 10 law, 20 Lorcana points, or is it 15? 20. 20. Um, wins wins the game. So it's not about knocking down someone else's health. You're all climbing up um, your own individual Lorcana ladders. Yep. And then in terms of you know the challenging, and this is where I think also the game is really, really interesting and steals a little bit from Keyforge, is that you can only challenge, you can only essentially knock out, remove another player's card if they are exhausted, so if they've been turned to the side, mm-hmm. they've been used for either something else or they've been quested. And this frustrated Chris no end. Brilliant. Because he was like, Brilliant. he he would get out all his big hitters and he'd be like, right, I'm going to get rid of that, 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 and that. I'd be no, they're not exhausted, Chris. You can't just throw your weight around and just knock everything out of the park. Yep. And he's like, oh, oh. And, um, <laughs> that sounded just like so, Chris. Yeah, it does sound like yeah, that. No. <laughs> So it means so what that does is it means that it's not a game about aggression. It's not a game about mm-hmm. the biggest hitters will win. It's not a game about, you know, creating big um unstoppable beer moths that just push their way to victory. You've really got to think about what cards you're playing and your slow progression to make sure that you're able to keep churning out law turn after turn after turn because it's not worthwhile just doing it once getting five law and then the other player just sweeping your board across you've got to think about the long-term game so what i also really like about it and this took a thing from keyforge i think is the fact that health is stackable and damage i should say damage Damage is stackable stackable, and damage sticks yeah so Unlike magic, where if you do a damage to another character or a creature or a wizard or whatever, if you don't do all the damage you need to do, they just get healed straight up and they just yeah they just survive. You have to do the round again. However, in Lorcana, you can apply damage to a character or harm to them or whatever it's called, and basically that will stack. So the next round, you're more likely to do the damage you need to get yep. to get rid of them. Which again brings an equilibrium and brings, you know, it brings a sense to the game that no card is safe, no card is unstoppable, nothing there is 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 likely to be the dominating factor. So you've really got to plan ahead, you've really got to strategize about the long term health and well being, I 
hasten to add of of the cards that you're playing i think that indirect competition because obviously there are card interactions between things it's not again it's not like to the level of villainous for example where Mm-hmm. where like yeah you can sort of go after an opponent by saying oh i'm going to make things a bit more difficult for you but not really like there is there is more interaction than that and it does you know if they weren't using certain terminology and words it would you would be thinking yeah alice is trying to mess up like you know the the the, the mad hatter or whatever it is like that that it does feel like quote unquote combat but it, it but it isn't that right but but the cool thing about the the fact that you're not doing damage to your opponent, you're you're working up a ladder that you have yourself of 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 this law counter. The, the it's a subtle twist, but it's mm. a good one because it means that multiplayer is actually much easier. So one of the great things about Lorcana is being able to put play it with more than two players. And it yeah. and it not really change anything about the game. If you were to gang up on somebody else, if you were like, let's say for example, there's three players and two of them are ganging up on one player. Well, they're, they're quote unquote ganging up on them. They might be removing stuff from their field, but they're not doing things like questing. So they're not getting any further to the goal that they need to be able to get to, right? So they're not actually being very effective so most players wouldn't do that most players don't gang up on other players because it's not a good strategy whereas in magic the gathering it absolutely is because if you knock somebody yeah. out you've got one less person to have to deal with that's 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 just not a thing that can happen in Lorcana. the art is stunning like mm-hmm. like they have they have spent serious money on this thing so ravensburger are going to be trying something a little bit different in august of this year so even though i think the starter decks are a perfect entryway they're coming out with a thing called disney lorcana tcg gateway okay which (laughs) it's catchy Uh, i mean yeah absolutely so basically what what this is is like uh, it it's pitched as a new product which is aimed to make it even easier for people to get into lorcana Hmm. And so the idea is is that you get two decks, two Lorcana decks, a two-player game board with standees and rules and player guides. And basically what happens is, is as you play the game, each player gets rewarded with new cards to add into their deck that will slowly help them learn more and more about the game That's and so different clever. mechanics and gameplay. And, then, and it's almost like a legacy game because when when you've basically gone through all of Gateway, as they call it, you will end up with two fully formed Disney Lorcana decks so that can be smart. played normally with anyone else. And they've they've given me a press release about this and it's coming in under 23 quid. And it's just like, it just seems like the perfectly pitched product at the perfect price. Yeah, honestly, like, like for me, for me, the way to get into this, as we've talked about, is... Buy a starter deck. Buy one that looks like it's got some... Uh, on the side of the box, it's got literally... These are all the cards, right? Don't worry about the mechanics of it, like unless you're seriously thinking about competitive play, in which case, like, you don't need to be told any of this stuff. Um, go and find one of those decks, right? Get one of them. Enjoy, like, open it up. Don't even open the booster. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Play it with some friends. Enjoy it for a bit. Then open that booster up and then start thinking about how you might change things around in, in terms of one of your decks and those boosters those individual boosters i think they are 
they are a great way to accentuate and change for a, a you know relative and obviously money's you know whatever it's different to everybody but like for a relatively small amount of money pocket money basically for some people it's a small amount of money to add just a few more mechanics to that deck that you're that you're playing at the moment and because there's so little waste as it were i think this is one of those if you really want to have that that kind of collectible card game experience with with friends who have never done it before for example or if you've got like young people in your life where you want to get them into one of these things mm-hmm. and you're thinking i want to help this help them enjoy this and support them by buying them a booster every now and again that one booster will give them more than enough stuff to to uh, from that starter deck to start really doing more like oh brilliant i could add yeah. this in to do this and yeah it's it's just it's just very clever it's just a very clever well thought together product that uh, i think it's in the fourth position of the most popular trading card games in the world it went from like obviously nothing to it is now i think fourth which is incredible. Mm. Like the top five, Pokemon is number one. Uh, I think Pokemon is number one. Magic is number two. Yu-Gi-Oh is number three. And then four and five are split between Lorcana and Flesh and Blood. Like, yeah. it, it, it's it's unbelievable to see how fast this has come up. And if I was if I was in one of those other shoes of uh, in the comp- in the shoes of somebody who was running one of those other products, I'd be very worried because like they've they've come out the gates. And have smashed it. Uh, well, in a in a in a hard turn away from a oh my word, uh, it's it's a very hard turn away from a Disney. It's a very uh, trading card game. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I watched uh, Saltburn. What's that? Yeah. Uh, Saltburn is a film. Uh, I actually saw okay. um, it kind of went viral a little bit around because it came on to kind of streaming platforms like just before christmas and i'd seen trailers yeah. for this months and months ago and i i thought it looked brilliant it's the second film from uh writer director emerald fennell who her first film was promising young woman i don't know if you saw that which was a fantastic film starring carrie mulligan yeah brilliant brilliant kind of kind of first kind of feature from her and this is a kind of a follow-up called Saltburn. um and as i yes i saw kind of trailers for it months months ago i thought it looked brilliant starring barry kogan who is like he's just excellent in everything that he does at the moment so that was kind of a real, real attraction and yeah i was really looking forward to it and it came out in, in november i didn't see it at the cinema and then it showed up on streaming i think on the 22nd of december and then suddenly like social media was awash with people saying don't watch this with your grandparents um because i mean i you guess i got a sense of what it was from the kind of the trailers and stuff but kind of there's it just loads of people saying like oh my god i can't believe where this went or that stuff you'd have like people talking about like kind of giving a a commentary on it like a a, in in the course of a tweet of saying like oh this looks like a good film what what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? What the hell's going on? As it as it gets more and more kind of weird and kind of like at this point, I was starting to think like, what is this film? This I mean, <laughs> what the hell good. is going on? It looked good. It, it's it the looked perfect kind of... marketing. They could not have paid for better marketing than people complaining to the Daily Mail about this film. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The kind of nature story is following a character called Oliver who has started. Oxford University it's set kind of mid kind of around 2005 2006 time um yeah he's joined he's gone to Oxford University 
doesn't really fit in. He's not really from that kind of area. He's more of a working class, kind of comes from that kind of a background. So goes there, isn't really making any friends. I think the only friend he's really made is a bit of a, a bit of a strange fellow who does strange things. And so he's kind of a bit of an outsider, but he kind of wants to get in with kind of the popular crowd and he kind of looks at them from a distance. And then following a kind of weird little meet cute with like the kind of stereotypical most popular guy in school like who he helps him out and he kind of lends him his bike and the kind of says guy says all right well come and when he sees him out in a pub like come and have a drink with us and suddenly he's got an in into this kind of group and he starts to ingratiate mm. himself in there and obviously these are kind of this is oxen these are the, the the posh kids kind of very much kind of a higher stage and higher class than what he's used to and so some of the friends are kind of welcoming others are kind of very put out by this commoner who's joining the group and will make fun of him and over the over course of events this the, the they become friends there's a slightly weird dynamic to their friendship in sense of kind of he's he seems to kind of attach himself to to jacob who's the kind of the the popular kid so he's attached himself to jacob kind of is always hanging around him you have scenes where like he's just hanging around in his bedroom and you're like what and he kind of says like why are you always here and over the course of events um jacob decides to kind of kind of he feels a bit sorry for him he talk he's been told about a real kind of problematic background he's got at home the home life is not good and he eventually says to him okay well this summer i don't want you going home to that like i want you to come with me and you can come and stay at mine uh, his home, which is Saltburn, the, t- the titular Saltburn, is the name of the estate in which he lives. He says, come to come to us and stay with me for the summer. And he's like, amazing, thank you so much. And he goes there, and it is this kind of mansion, this huge estate where they live. And the whole film is produced in the 4 by 3 ratio. The, the square frame kind of really accentuates the grandeur of all these buildings and kind of the high scenes and all that stuff. And then he meets the family and kind of stuff like that. And it's it's uh, Rosamund Pike, who's brilliantly kind of brittle and strange and so kind of like, oh, it's so wonderful to have you here. Like, how wonderful to have someone from Liverpool come to stay with us. Like, almost like he's a toy. He's a pet kind of thing. Uh, Richard E. Grant is Richard E. Grant in the best way possible. And he starts to kind of work his way into the family. He's still very much an outsider. But the longer he stays there, you start to feel there's something else underneath the surface of this character that he is. There is a, manip- a level of manipulation to this and a level of, of obsession that is growing, whether it's between him and this this the guy, Jacob, or it's kind of him and the class structure, him and the family. Something is weird is happening and kind of things then as the social media post will tell you, begin to escalate. And these really strange scenes that kind of come out of nowhere and really kind of knock you off kilter. And then mm. you kind of, you're left kind of stumbling to kind of, okay, I'm, I'm back on track. And I've been knocked again. And suddenly you find yourself just kind of wavering as you're just pushed through this kind of narrative as it starts to get bigger and bigger and weirder and stranger. And it doesn't, it's not like a thing that goes, like it's not supernatural. It's not anything like that. It's just these dynamics, these relationships get stranger and stranger and like he starts to do little things and you start to question okay is everything here what we thought it was or have we been kind of has the rug been pulled kind of over our eyes as well and it just goes some really strange places it's the kind of the performances across the board are just fantastic it looks gorgeous and you kind of finish it and you're like you do get that whole what the hell's that but also 
that was kind of a wonderful kind of story to, to have been told. You've been taken on a real journey throughout it. And it really became this kind of viral hit. There is music in it that, like, the Sophie Ellis Bexter song, Murder on the Dance Floor, appears in it. And suddenly that was in the charts, like, after, like, however many years away. Suddenly that's back wow. in the charts at number five. And that's the kind of thing that happens when a film has kind of caught the zeitgeist in some way. And whether it's, as Sam said, that kind of viral marketing of people saying, don't see this with your grandparents. Obviously, it's Christmas. It's come out. It's not a Christmas film. But it's like, oh, Saltburn, it's Grand Buildings. It's Downton Abbey. Let's watch this. It's nothing like that. It's not that. It's it's kids sitting around a pool in the gardens, kind of just having drinks and smoking and doing all this stuff. I, I mean, I can't say it wasn't really a surprise to me because I was really looking forward to it anyway. I'd seen it a while back and I was really looking forward to it. But it kind of, what a follow-up to kind of Promising Young Woman. Like, it, she's mm. really a r- phenomenal talent, writer-director to kind of put it all together. I think what you have to appreciate about a film like this is is a writer and director in both the feature films that she's made is not, prepared in any way to compromise on their vision and also commits to a style and a tone and a direction and in that you will get people who will adhere to it and will will go along with it or they won't and they just won't won't they like it so i think the critical response kind of reflected that both with promising young woman and and with saltburn is kind of like you're either in the five star camp or like the two right, three star right. camp like you're you're either you know revolted reviled um by the wickedness of it or you're kind of delighted by sort of devilish sort of things that are committed that are committed to screen and i think there's a lot of lot of things to admire in saltburn that you know it is funny on one hand but threatening on the other it is charming in one breath and then callous and cold on the other like (laughs) the way that the screenplay makes you flip-flop in terms of who you sympathize with in that moment is is really remarkable because you know we've had a a spate of films coming out recently where you know we're at this point now in late stage capitalism where a lot of the media is centered around taking the mick out of out of rich people sure and higher society because we can't find a way there's no way of being able to ever compete with them so we just take the mick out of them and that'll do so there's been quite a lot of that sort of media style stuff going around recently and saltburn appears to fit into that gap like you you get the impression that you're meant to be laughing at these people but then things happen and your sympathy switch and then they switch again and then they switch back oh. and then you're on the you're on this ever switching railway train and never really knowing where you're going to end up at sort of when you get to your destination you know what dan was saying about the four by three style is really interesting as well because yeah you get that grandeur with it um but the the director said one of the other reasons why she did it in that style was to make it appear like a dollhouse was to make it feel like every frame is something that you're that you're watching inside a dollhouse that everything has this voyeuristic presence that things feel unreal and things appear like toys and you know things appear like things feel like they can be manipulated and changed and controlled like you would do in in a dollhouse like i think i think it's absolutely fascinating and i think that 
the commitment that Barry Kogan shows to everything that he's asked to do is is incredible. And I think for the appreciation of of what that shows you from an actor is almost worth seeing above above you know whether you like the film or not it's just sometimes it's quite nice to see an actor really committing wholeheartedly to everything that was written on the page and just seeing that whether you like the film or not the content is actually I quite often quite like that just seeing like fair play <laughs> you know absolutely fair play to you well done and I, I think that when you when you talk about kind of the the things that can be said can be taken kind of as charming and then callous and then nice but also then sinister like all of that like he is the perfect kind of he has that in that ability to say a line and it mean like five different things depending on how you look at it his delivery of that is so wonderful and i can't think of many Mm -hmm. other actors in that role who would have been able to kind of do that the same way just to go back to kind of what um the director's talked about to kind of give you an idea of that kind of strangeness to it like two of the films that um the director's kind of cited as influences would be uh cruel intentions uh the kind of the 1990s mm-hmm. film where it's kind okay, of all yeah. a bit it's that that it's kind of sexually charged kind of you don't quite know who's playing who but then also a clockwork orange and that element of clockwork orange being it's just off kilter it's never it does never sit right you always know obviously on clockwork orange is a very different kind of film the the kind of the topics and stuff but it is looking at class and class differences and conflict right. between those and what happens when an in when a, when a lower class person enters higher society type thing obviously with clockwork orange they're going into the the, the rich man's house whereas this it's, it's oliver the lower class going into this estate and what happens when those two worlds collide um, and when you when those are the kind of the, the the influences, and you can absolutely see that in the film, whether it's overt with something like the the kind of the 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 sexual nature of um, called intentions, or something just the feeling of Clockwork Orange is, is absolutely kind of in that DNA of of what you're watching. It was I just thought it was it was fantastic. I don't know how to approach this because it's so obvious that Super Mario Wonder is a great game. Like, I, 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 I just... You know, you know this, is, this is what I was thinking about when I was playing it on my lunch break today, because I, I picked up Super Mario Brothers Wonder just before I went to went on holiday, mm. uh, back in October now. And I thought, I'll pick up something new. So I got myself Super Mario Brothers Wonder. And after playing it on holiday, I didn't pick it up again until I saw that Pete wanted to talk about it today. Yep. And I started playing it again, and... The first thing that strikes you is, is like, my God, the, every single rough edge of this game has been filed yeah. off. <laughs> like, there is not a single no. thing about this game that hasn't been looked at, touched up, sort of smoothed off. There's a quality that comes with AAA that is often forgotten by supposed AAA games. So... Every once in a while, you'll see a level of quality and polish for a game that is so unbelievably high yeah. that you know it's expensive to make, right? Like, you you know mm-hmm. that they spent a long time and a lot of money making this thing. And so it, it's in the little details. So it's a 2D platformer, right? Like, it's a... it's and And that does not unfortunately mean it's going to be an amazing mario game because that 
since New Super Mario Brothers, which was a really good game on DS, they seem to just have kind of kept making the same kind of game over and over again. And they've all been good. It's just they've never... Since then, they've they've all been a bit kind of samey, and it's not really been as exciting. Like I've not I've not been excited for one of those. So I played New Super Mario Brothers U Deluxe, and like I was like, yeah, this is yeah, this is good, but it, that's really disappointing because that's not a Mario game. Mario games have to deal with the fact that Super Mario World is quite literally one of the greatest games of all time. And it is mm-hmm. arguably, arguably uh, beaten by Super Mario Brothers 3, right? There are multiple games that feature the Red Plumber that could you, that I would accept from people as their favourite game of all time. There are multiple of them where you go, yeah, all right. Yeah, that could absolutely be your mm-hmm. favourite game, right? So let alone the 3D stuff, right? Like, which is a whole different kettle of fish. Anyway... So that's what you're running up against. And what Super Mario Wonder does is, first of all, polish. Every little thing has a bit of detail. There are these little flowers for the first time in the series that talk. And all of them have got these weird little smart aleck thing to say to you. And it's hilarious. And they're lovely. And, and but, but they all probably are localised. They are probably all... And they're all read by a really lovely char- uh, uh, character actor. And they're all brilliant. That will have just been really expensive. The the user interface has moments where it's reflecting Game and Watch with the silhouettes of uh, of Mario, for example, in in just in the pause screen, and then they'll just throw bits of user interface left, right, and center just to give a bit of joy here and there. Almost every level in the game has a wonder flower, which basically, like, I mean. I think it's derivative to say this, but it's basically an acid trip. And I know you get a lot of people who say, oh, it's like this, but on acid. It's like, no, no, no. That <laughs> is kind of the thing that they're going for, right? Like, mm-hmm. And so Mario grabs this wonder flower and you think, oh, well, maybe they'll get like this, you know, maybe they'll be invincible. No, no. It changes from a 2D side-scrolling platformer to a top-down 2D exploration game built on top of the 2D platforming level. So you have to like navigate around the space and and you realize, oh yeah, they've, they've built this in such a way that it works in two different, totally different dimensions. There's whole sequences that are musical numbers that are some of the most charming songs that clearly they've had the Nintendo in-house band just put together that have got games uh, that have got mechanics attached to it that are just totally different there's w- some wonder flowers turn you into a completely different kind of mario with a completely different skill set and a completely different control set and it all works perfectly like there's not a single moment where you go oh well, now I'm ball mario how do I do this it's like it's immediately intuitive as to exactly what it is that you need to do and it just throws idea after idea after idea at the screen and executes upon it perfectly it is infuriatingly good (laughs) like 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 it is it is like height of Miyamoto's creativity levels of genius and it's not Miyamoto as far as I know that's doing this one like Wanda is it's it's mad 
Like how how good and polished it is. The the whole thing licks along at sixty frames. Like like you, it's just super smooth. Blown up on a, my television that I have. It is crisp. Like I mean sharp. Right. And uh, the the audio is it, uh, just just absolutely on point. It's both nostalgic while also being cutting edge. Right. The visual side of it, again, it had it 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 traces that line between rose-tinted glasses and brand new ideas, and it does it with a plomb, and it never lingers on any of it for too long. Uh, so the, the the whole thing is an overworld. So you have this overworld, like like you saw in Super Mario Bros. Three, for example, where you can move between these different lands, and all of the lands are they aren't just. You know, some of them play on some of the tropey stuff that they've done before. So, like, there is a sand level, but they always take it in a new direction. So it's like it's also it's also a land of like gold, right? Or there is snow, but like there's additional stuff to it. Like they'll bring in new mechanics. Like for example, uh, there's just a sequence in which it gets really really cold, and you have to like fight up snow coming sideways at you, like. It just, just it, it's not just the floor's a bit slippy, right? They really do push into this hardcore. And the, the other part of it is it's really upfront with you what you need to do to be successful. It will say, right, you, you can collect X number of these wonder seeds on this level. And that once you've done that, and if you jump on the flagpole, which is the, the end of the level, if you manage to hit the top of it, we'll mark that in your, have you done this yet? And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if you collect all three of these coins, we'll we'll tick that off as well, and then we'll put a great big green tick over the whole thing, and that'll be you have done this level, right? And it's infuriating. And it's infuriating <laughs> because you're just like, well, now I've got to get all of them. But every single time that I've gone, I just don't know what to do here, right? I just I don't know what I need to do to to figure this out. So there's early on there's a level that's about like all of the mechanics in this are completely hidden. Go and figure out where everything is, right? Uh, I couldn't figure out where this final thing I needed to find was. And I was just like, I just, I just don't know where it is. And I'm going to have to look this up on a walkthrough. Like, I, I, just, I just don't think this, this is really upfront, is being honest with me. And when I looked it up on a walkthrough, I kicked myself because I was like, I could have done that. I could have figured that out. Like, it is all, it all makes sense. All of it. Like, and it, and it pushes you to consider the limited set of mechanics that you have available to you as a character that can run and jump and sometimes throw a fireball to use those mechanics in ways that you that stretch the very boundaries of how you use them like and in ways that you've never done before it's just it is like end of a generation masterclass in what that company mm. does best right yeah it, and god i don't think i've smiled more than when I've played that game. It is a joy bringer. It's like it's like somebody just put unadulterated joy into a device that will put it out whenever you play it. Like, you know, this is, uh, you know, f I think it's probably a little bit too difficult for your kids at the moment, but they're not far off. Like, like no. they could absolutely tackle this in a few years' time. Uh, Mark Brown put out a really good video recently on Game Makers Toolkit about the way that nintendo handles difficulty yeah. and um mario brothers wonder follows follows the same thing you could just run through levels jumping over yep. platforms and you'd collect enough wonder seeds to see the end of yep. the game like and 
so in terms of that and and there are some characters as well that you can pick that also behave slightly differently yeah, so i've got because i'm i'm on the switch train now i have a switch mm, now yeah after all this time so yeah i yeah there are two characters on uh super mario brothers u deluxe um which is toadette yeah. and nabbit um so yep, toadette so. if you fall down a hole you float back up so you can't so you can't die that way but enemies yep. can still get you and nabbit can fall down holes and die that way but can just run straight past enemies so yep. those are two easy kind of settings for that yeah so when i when i got when i got this i did look i wanted to get a mario game and i was trying to choose between these two because the prices don't change on switch this is something i've just learned mm-hmm. this uh, on the website that we've talked about for um the family gaming database um it has the skill levels on there the one for uh, super mario brothers u deluxe uh, had a skill level of five and mario uh, super mario wonder had a skill level of eight so that's why i didn't go for the yeah, wonder yeah. although now i'm regretting it don't you don't regret it get, get it get it when you're done with when you're done with the one you know when you when you need another one it's time to move on go get the next one like yeah honestly like yeah don't worry about it like like it brings so many new ideas you won't you won't regret it like having both no and there's badges and there's like oh my god i'd forgotten there there's badges so <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so these badges so and, and this this is just this is just like this is just like this would be a whole game what well what i was going to say is i think when it comes to complexity it's probably the badges that add that take it just that step up where you have to consider what badge may be appropriate yep. for yeah I, I i so yes absolutely um so these badges basically you unlock them over time by visiting different worlds and 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 doing that sort of thing basically and so for a, a good example of one one of the early ones that you get is uh you can glide so Mar- mario gets his hat out it turns massive and then he glides through the air right you hold a button and he does that the uh, but another example of one is uh mario can't stop hopping and uh but it but mario can jump really high when when he hops um so yeah you you don't get to run along the floor anymore but you uh, that pays off in the fact that you have uh, you can reach higher areas. Um, there's another one that's basically a grappling hook, right? Like there's loads of different versions of these badges, and there are tests to see whether or not you've mastered this skill. And some of those tests are incredibly challenging, like very very hard, like end of Rayman Legends levels of like, oh god, this is difficult. But fair, like, and 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 that's the that's the infuriating part because you know you're rubbish, you know you're messing it up, mm-hmm. right? But those badges, there's like there's like thirty or forty of them. That would be a in and of itself. That would be a whole Mario game in the past where it was like there's all these new badges and that's just the the, the new thing. No, that's just a another thing that, that 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 they've added into it that is just another element that you could if you wanted to you could get through every single level and other than those tests and not use any of those badges you could just play it standard and it'd be absolutely fine like nothing is locked away from you nothing along those lines to get to the end of each of those levels but they all change the game just so differently so wildly there's 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 different game modes. It's, just, it's not just levels. Like there's almost like a an enemy tower climb, like uh, Shiren the Wanderer crossed with Smash Brothers. Like 
where you have to defeat loads and loads of enemies and they're kind of like a puzzle in and of themselves you have to like defeat them in a certain way or like there's a there's a a, a treasure hunt that you have to go on like there's just it it's mad how much stuff there is there are secrets there are whole secret levels that you only find out about by stumbling upon them and then you realize that there's a whole secret area that is like the hardest challenges of the entire game. And you would not find out about it unless you went and went digging. Like, yeah. God, like it, it's a, it's a bounty. Like it, it, it's incredible. Can you tell I like it? So um, here's a list then, Pete, of the top 10 extreme sports, according to me okay. too. No idea what that is. <laughs> so let's see. Let's see which one of these ten you'd like to try. Interestingly, snowboarding does not appear. I don't think so that is an extreme again. sport. Uh, it defines extreme sports as adventure sports or adrenaline sports and extreme activities believed as involving a high level of risk. Uh, so base jumping. Base jumping probably not because that is stupid dangerous and not fun dangerous. Okay, highlining. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's basically uh, rope walking. Ooh, no, because I, I would, <laughs> uh, I, like, unless there's a net. If there was a net, yeah, I would, but I don't think there is. So. Okay. This is something that me and Chris have done, albeit in a department store in Manchester, ice climbing. Uh, How extreme yeah. was it, Sam? Yeah. It wasn't extreme, <laughs> considering there was people buying, like, coats <laughs> behind us as we were doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. People like trying on shoes and just looking up and seeing me and Chris climb <laughs> just the like, ice wall. Not even that high up, they're like too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, might, I might be up for something just... like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay, uh, volcano boarding. <laughs> <laughs> that is not real. That cannot be real. Well, I don't know. You, you go down on the ash. That That's, I mean, yeah, you're not going on it. You're not taking like a silver platter and sliding down some lava, but ash would be quite... I mean, you could you could get some speed down there. God. Uh, the fact that the sport involves a risk of being hit by falling lava or inhaling in toxic gases makes it one of the most extreme sports to try. To try. Uh, kite surfing. Uh, so kite surfing, I really would like to try. That actually does sound quite fun. Yeah, that does actually sound good. Uh, this sport will bring a huge adrenaline rush in your body and make you all excited and happy. I feel like an AI wrote this article, but yeah, go on. <laughs> but I just like the fact it goes from volcano boarding to kite surfing. Oh. Uh, cave diving. Uh, I would be... I've done spelunking before. Like, I've done caving and I didn't like mm. it. And I think adding swimming into the mix with scuba is probably not a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds horrible. Actually. Also, this article says uh, there's also huge odds of forgetting your way up from the caves. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> great. Yeah. Uh, BMX racing. Yeah, uh, that's fun. Uh, parkour. Uh, yeah, I, I've done bits and I have tried my hand at it. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but please tell me there's a video somewhere. I mean, parkour doesn't need to be extreme. I was going to say it's it? yeah, like we yeah we. I mean, I technically, if you go for a run, you're doing parkour, just no obstacles. <laughs> on the flat line. <laughs> um, yeah, I did some of that stuff when I was just a kid. It's really but... vanilla parkour. Yeah. 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 Uh, just two left now. Rock climbing. Done it. Yeah. And creaking. Uh, 
I mean, I do some of that already, but what's creaking? I mean, my suspicions about this article are confirmed by the entry into creaking, considering we've already mentioned other extreme sports which could have been on here, because the starting line of creaking is, it's a kind of extreme sport, Mm. (laughs) uh, which requires members jumping off steep cascades in kayaks. Yeah, okay. I'll be up for that. Yeah. All right, I'll do all of those. All right, okay. And if you've got any extreme sports that you'd like to, to try, to risk um, life and limb in our, yeah, in our new feature, <laughs> yeah, let's get Peter killed. Um, <laughs> then please send your suggestions yep. to um, any of our social channels at Staying in Pod on Instagram, Facebook, the other one. And you can also email stayinginpod at gmail.com. And if you're emailing, why not give us a suggestion of something to watch, read, Ooh, yeah. play? Yeah, because I'm, I'm still going strong with my news resolution to only watch new things. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are, aren't you? Yeah. So if, if anyone has things to recommend, doesn't have to be doesn't have to be new as in sense of it's just come out, but like it, it, it just needs to be something that I haven't seen before. So new to you, new to you. Any anything that you think? Oh, I don't think Dan's done it. We haven't we haven't talked about it in the past. Let me know. I'll add it to the list. Let them know. Yeah, and it might not be a and and if you'd like to know a bit more about what we have talked about in the past, um, you can check out our curated pages on Steam and Board Game Geek, uh, in which are listed all the video games that we've ever spoken about. Um, on you find that on the Steam one, and uh, all the board games that we've spoken about, uh, you can find that on the Board Game Geek curated yes. pages. And I think that is about it. See you on the beach. See you on the beach. (laughs) God. So stupid. So stupid.